Hello and welcome back to Murder Analyze. Thank you for joining me again today for another true crime. Now this crime today is a solved crime. Now over the last few days, as you've seen, I've been putting up about some terrible, terrible cases involving very young babies and infants and stuff. And this is another case like that. And now this boy was 11 months old. Now his name was Zachary. Now he was thrown into a river by his father. But the difference is with this case. This case is concluded, so it's it's got you know there's um, it's a solved case. But in this case, we sort of see why. We can sort of understand why he did it. Now this case is going to bring in mental health issues. It's going to bring in paranoid schizophrenic issues, some some serious mental health issues. We're going to be talking about the defence of diminished responsibility. We're actually, in this case, also going to be talking about the failings um, of really what could have stopped this, or could it have been stopped? Could this man have been stopped? You know, because this man actually did go into an A&E on six occasions and beg, actually, to be sectioned. He was already diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia at the age of 12. So it shows that his mental health was serious. And I'm telling you, in this country, to get a diagnosis of paranoid schizophrenia at the age of 12, his psychosis must have been bad even then. So this is the case of this, it's a really sad case from all angles, this case. But it does highlight why certain people do things, why things like this have tragic case, really, of another young child that's lost his life. It's, it's just, um, it is tragic. I, I don't think there's any other word for it. It upsets me to do these cases because, you know, these very young lives have been taken. But they need to be told. This one certainly needs to be told to highlight these issues. Now, in no way uh, throughout any of this, as I'm talking about people with paranoid schizophrenic or schizophrenia, uh, this should be any reflection on them. Everyone suffers from mental illness in different ways. Some people can tolerate the medication, sometimes that medication helps them, sometimes it doesn't. Most of the time, or a lot of time, schizophrenics, especially people like this man, um, stopped taking his medication. He'd stopped taking it. And he knew then that more episodes were coming thicker and faster and his delusions and his, you know, you know, these hallucinations also he was having. So he had a mixture of lots of different things going on. That's why he went to A&E on six occasions to try and get help. They dismissed him. Someone that was a paranoid schizophrenic telling you that haven't took their medication for a few months, telling you that how they're feeling and you're telling them to go away. So there's no way this should reflect on anybody else who suffers from schizophrenia. This is one man's case here. We have many, many people throughout the world that suffer from schizophrenia. And they don't do this. They don't do this. So this is just about this man, this man's case. And it should have no reflection on anyone else that suffers from mental health. Not at all. Now the child's name was um, Zachary William Bennett Eco. Now he died, he was 11 months old at the age of his death. Now he died when his father, Zach Bennett Eco, threw him into the river uh, in Redcliffe in Greater Manchester. And that was in September 2019. 
Now, Bennett was uh, found guilty on manslaughter charges uh, on the grounds of diminished responsibility, and we will be going into that in a little bit more, uh, because it's really important of why he got manslaughter in this case. And um, he will remain indefinitely, actually, in a uh, mental institution, because he was deemed, and we will tell as we go through the um, case and we look at the actual Mental Health Act and how they can, de can detain someone for a very long time in the sections that they've used in this. Um, it's, it, as I said, it's a very sad case, but this is the facts of this case, really. And we will start now going into these facts. So if this case is not for you, um, uh, then there's plenty of other cases on here for you to watch. But a warning goes out with this case because we are talking about, really, the murder of an 11-month-old innocent child by his father. All my notes on this case have been taken from the actual case itself and I'll leave a link if you want to have a look at that case and this has taken really a lot of my information from the judges you know summing up in this case because it was a complicated case it was a jury trial uh, but it was a complicated case okay and only bit of information every bit of information actually in this case is taken from that case notes itself. So Manchester Crown Court was sitting and it was in Nighting the Nightingale Court, 1st December 2020 when this case was heard. So um, little Zachary died, I think September 2019 and it was in court by December, 1st of December 2020. Now, um, so Zach, this is a father Zach, um, was convicted unanimous, unanimously, right? It was unanimous really on um, manslaughter charge by reason of insanity. Now, reason of insanity is not easy to get. Right? It's not easy to get. You have to have psychiatrists, you have to have people, you know, you know what they're talking about, sticking up for you, really, to say, no, this was right. You didn't know what you was doing at the time when you did this, what, you're, what you was doing was wrong. Was you culpable, really, you know, for this? Was the actus reus and mens rea met in this case? The intention to kill, you know, this sort of thing. Did Are you capable, were you capable of making them decisions? And if you're not and you're deemed that you wasn't at the time of when you did this terrible act to this child, then um, diminished responsibility will be used as defence. And, and it, it really, it's a hard defence to get. It really is. So anyway, the victim of this crime was this baby, uh, his baby son, Sack, and he was 11 months old. Um, and with the judge hearing everything about what went on and he's heard all the psychiatrists talking about you know what they deemed was wrong with him uh, with Zach at that point then this judge can make a decision on sentencing and stuff like that depending on whether he's took this defense as a as you know as he's going to lead with his defense and he did I don't think the crown actually put in for the uh, a murder charge I think it went straight in actually as a manslaughter charge because of his mental health state. Now, this is the judge sort of um, saying about why um, this sack was not in court at the time. So he's got on the time I'm saying that he was absent from this court, and this is because he was not well enough to attend. Other than the first day of the, uh, he was arraigned, um, he had not attended the trial at all throughout the whole period of this trial. He was currently held at that point in Ashworth Hospital, and I think that's actually where he remains today, this high security mental hospital. 
and he even says the judge says this is a very tragic case and stuff but there's certain things in this case that even you know you have to go over everything when you're looking into this sort of a case and you're looking at sentencing someone for this sort of stuff so he said in the case involving the unlawful death of a small baby this is an extremely sad one um, and particularly sad because it was his own son Zachary um, who was out on the 11th of September 2019 for a walk in his pushchair um, and he's got the son's mother and we'll talk about Emma in a little while the parent she never suspected at all that this man would harm her child even though he was going through some psychotic episodes and they was really struggling and you can tell by her taking him to the hospital and this that and the other that she believed that he would maybe harm himself but she never believed that he would harm anyone else or especially his own son this child was well looked after plus emma at this time of the death of her son by the hands of of, of his father was also eight months pregnant with their second child. So this woman was dealing with a lot. Right? So she was trying to care for Zachary, this 11-month-old boy, and the court found that they, she was exemplary. Actually, he was exemplary. There was no issues or anything in the upbringing of this child. She was expecting a second child. Um, and But his mental health, because he had stopped taking his medication, was going downhill. Then she was looking after him. It's like she already had two children and expected another. That's how it was sort of dealt with. And they could tell this by the texts from the family, the texts going between uh, this, this, the frustration of this young girl to try and get her partner, who was suffering and had been diagnosed with schizophrenia, some help. You know, there are multiple times turning up to A&E to be turned away. Multiple times. This woman, the stress this woman must have been on, was, I, it would have been terrible, right? It would have been terrible. But she never believed in any way that her son was in any danger. Never. And, you know, it was really, really sad. So on this day, on the 11th of September, um, he said he's going to take his son out for a walk. And off they went out for a walk, you know, pushed him in his pushchair. And um, that was the last time she ever seen her son alive. He took little Zach, Zachary, down to the river. I think it's Irwin, Redcliffe, near where they lived. You know, in his pushchair walking along, and it was normal, he was normal. People was around, lots of people were around. It was a nice day, people were around. And then they said he picked up, you know, picked the baby out of the pushchair and was throwing him around and, you know, laughing and joking, as anyone would with their child. Don't forget, people were around. And he stood next to this river, and it had a high fence, this river, so he couldn't just fall in. And he was swinging him around and everything and all of a sudden people saw him as he was swinging Zachary he literally threw him over the five-foot fence into this fast-flowing river that was it that's what he did people saw it now you had a couple of teenagers that set off the alarm straight away you know, ringing the police, ringing everyone, because, you know, it's really imperative that you're trying to get this child out of this water. Now, one man did jump in the water. He was, a, you know, a, a bystander. He'd seen what had gone on. He couldn't believe what he had seen. He jumped in the water and he tried to get Zachary out. Uh, and by the time he'd got to Zachary, Zachary had gone under and, and they couldn't find him. I mean, but this man really did try. 
The father didn't. The father sort of walked off. Zach walked off. Like it was nothing. Now, I think it was Mr. Russell that, you know, he literally bravely, bravely went into this flowing river because it's a flowing river. Uh, and he would come in for the, and he did try everything to rescue this boy, but it was too late. Now, the police and the emergency services did their best. Also, they got there very, very quickly. They did their best um, to try and get to this child. Uh, they used police helicopters and everything else to try and find this child and rescue this child. But, you know, you're talking about, and we've said this in other cases, you know, when you talk about a child falling into a river anyway, but when you have a child thrown off a bridge into the middle of a flowing river, you know, he's 11 months old. 11 months old, the water's cold, everything is, is drowned. You know, they've got no chance. They've got no chance. So it's approximately about an hour later, actually, that they found his body further down the stream. The, the river had, had took him. I think he, he died. Um, I think they sort of tried to revive him. He died later in hospital and he died from drowning and again hyperthermia. Uh, uh, you know, it's um, for me, you think you have people that don't know this child jumping in. So you can see the mental state of this man. One for doing this, right? For doing this, chucking this child into the river. He's just playing with him normally, takes him out for a walk, playing with him normally, chucks him in a river, and then he literally walks off to a pub. That's what he does. He goes to a pub. Let nothing's happen. That's it. So you can imagine, can't you? Right? You had this man now just wandering off and going to a pub. Why the police are trying to search and rescue this child. The public are trying to search and rescue this child. Emma, his, his girlfriend or partner, is at home, uh, not knowing any of this has gone on. And the first she knows is when two police officers knock at her door and tell her what happens. Now at 7.30 p.m. that night, the time then, the last time that she saw her son at all, was when she had to go and identify his body. You know, and as they said, it was a combination of drowning and um, hyperthermia, but this, this poor woman who's eight months pregnant at this time, who has tried everything to help her partner get help for his mental health illness, finds out that she's he's not allowed to take his son. She's, he's just took the son, you know, because he's, he's never in any way ever done anything that would look like he's going to harm this child in any way. Actually, he's, gonna, he's never done anything that's going to look like he's going to harm anybody in any way, apart from himself. So, you know, at 420 he goes out with his dad, really, and at half past seven she's looking at him in the morgue, identifying his body. Her dead child has been murdered by the man that she was desperately trying to help. How this woman must have felt, I, I can't understand, I can't explain it. I don't think there's any words, is there, that can explain the heartache of this woman. I just don't think there is. This boy was a perfectly healthy, 11-month-old child, happy, well looked after, content, really. The only thing in this family that was causing any issues was his father, Zach's mental health. And no one, no one believed that it would end like this. No one. So as I've said, Zach has now thrown little Zachary into the river, literally, and walked off to the local um, pub, public house. Now, 
they've said in there that he was displaying, you know, um, very strange behaviour. He was. And people did really think, hang on a minute, is this the man that's just thrown his child in the river because of his behaviour? And actually when someone asked him, he actually told them what he'd done. They rang the police, the police come and he was straight out with what he'd done. Straight out. Told them what he'd done. You know, because you're talking about someone that's in a psychotic episode here. We don't understand, I don't even think he understands, or do the psychiatrists understand why he did that? What was going through his mind? He's never really said exactly what was going through his mind. Now don't forget, he was a schizophrenic, so he was someone that suffered from paranoia, delusions, and hallucinations. So he had quite a serious form of schizophrenia. So what was it that he was seeing or hearing or the thoughts that were coming into his head that made him do that to this boy? We don't know. We don't know. I don't really think he knows. He can't explain why. He can't. Now the thing is with this case, when he was arrested, and as anyone who's arrested, and especially anyone that's already suffers from mental health and who hasn't took the medication or even if they're on medication would be looked at by a doctor and a psychiatrist because the police have a duty of care the minute you are in their cells and they don't want this person that has done this and admitted freely doing it um, and you could clearly see that he was in some distress or some psychosis so they wanted to cover themselves and also make sure that this man was protected under the law and from preventing him from harming himself because as people come out of these episodes and stuff sometimes it's not that quick it can take weeks or months to come out of an episode um, would he harm himself when he'd realized what he'd done so there's really big issues here now to really try and protect this person from himself why you've got him in a cell so they had to call in the psychiatrist and they had two psychiatrists because to be sectioned under the Mental Health Act, you need more than one person, right, to sign that off. There's lots of rigmaroles that go around, you have to hit certain criteria, and two people, can't be one person that would agree to ever say you're sane or not sane, or whether you are competent or not competent, or whether you need to be sectioned under the Mental Health Act or not. Now, two people, two psychiatrists did interview him while he was in the police station, and they deemed him to be well enough, um, actually, to be interviewed, which to me, they, well they did, I, I don't understand that. If he was in that much of an episode that he chucked his child in the river, how could he then be, you know, fit for purpose, you know, fit, compass mentis to go under an interview, but they did. And then they also found that he was well enough to be held in HMP at Forest Bank, where he was later though transferred to Ashwell, Ashwell Hospital, which is a, a high security hospital for the mentally ill offenders. And that's where he's remained. So I don't know whether there's still some confusion in the early days, because as I said, this is the exceptional case of someone with this sort of mental health to do this, right? This doesn't happen every day. Don't think about, think about what you're going to see on the telly and on the movies and all this that makes schizophrenics out to be serial killers. And they're not, right? Very rare, actually, that anyone with schizophrenia is going to do this. Usually, they would avoid you because they're paranoid, right? They're going to avoid 
you. They don't want the confrontation. They don't want it. They don't actually wouldn't even look at you in the face and certainly wouldn't do things in public to bring attention to their self. So this case is a little bit different, but you do have some schizophrenics, right? And I think we have um, Robert Napper. Now he is a highly dangerous schizophrenic. Now they, again, he was um, abused at the age of 12 and then really became schizophrenic from this sort of abuse, really from this trauma uh, and, and that. But he also was diagnosed young um, with mental health and uh, and that. So I don't know if they're saying about how early it was, I don't know. But yeah, so really it's difficult, isn't it, to understand that point, you know, because I would have assumed that someone that would have been in this sort of state would have automatically um, been sectioned and then uh, took off. But I think, uh, you know, when you have two psychiatrists that said, no, it was actually, you know, okay to do that, then um, that's what happened. And as it went on further and further, you would have had to have medicated this man because if he was in this episode and, and it looks like he was, and then as, as I said, the um, he comes out of that, then the remorse sets in because then he, you know, he may not remember even doing that to his son when he was in that episode. But now as you're coming out of that episode and you're given medication and you're now coming back, the realisation of what you've done is hitting you, isn't it? You took a life of your own son. And as I said, if we don't know if we remembered or not, we just don't know. We just don't know. But I think the guilt and the remorse set in and it does say that he had remorse. So anyway, the background and the medical conditions are as follows, really. Um, so he had this mental illness and it was schizophrenia, it was paranoid schizophrenia. Uh, he had had this since a very young age and as I said this earlier, to be diagnosed with schizophrenia at the age of 12, he would have had some serious issues, you know, in his adolescence. We don't know much about previous stuff of him, but to be diagnosed really uh, at 12 with, with that, it's, uh, you know, he, he must have been showing real signs, real, he must have been having quite bad episodes even then, even then, to have been given that label really, because they don't like to label kids too young because of the stigma that goes with it. And we shouldn't have stigma that goes with any mental health illness, but there is, and that's because the media and, you know, as I've said before, these TV shows and movies and that portray people with this sort of mental health as like serial killers and God knows what else. And that's very untrue. So really for this boy to be diagnosed at that age um, with paranoid schizophrenic, as a paranoid schizophrenic, uh, there, there must have been very serious issues in his life with him you know there must have been clear signs clear signs because that's a diagnosis that they don't really want to give you they don't really want to give you especially at this age no no psychiatrist would want to give you this diagnosis at this age so that by the time he was 22 and he was 22 when he committed this crime um it says he had minor convictions when he was about a juvenile you know one or two so he really you know when you're talking about someone who was diagnosed with schizophrenia at 12 and he's only got minor convictions you know that um even that um you know maybe he was well diet maybe he was well medicated at the age of 12 but usually 
that sort of comes with it. There's usually drug offences, usually other stuff that come with it because they try and self-medicate and this, that and the other. So I don't know what his convictions were, it doesn't say, but it was juvenile convictions anyway. And they were not really relevant to this offence. So he'd done nothing. There was no serious harm offences at all in his past. Not at all. And he was 22 at the time when he'd done this. Now when he was 15, he was sectioned under the Mental Health Act and admitted to a secure, a secure adolescent unit um, health institution unit so he was sectioned at 15 that's very young actually to be sectioned so as i said he had clear clear signs of um a lot happening in his his adolescence now he was discharged in 2016 and this he made he was made then the subject of this community treatment order with certain conditions Right, so if we think that's great, he's going to go into community mental health and they're going to help him. Now listen, I'm going to have to talk about community mental health because um, it's underfunded, right? The waiting list to get in, really, and to see someone is long. The assessments are, there's a sort of a waiting list for that as well, really. Your caseload... In there and some of these people will have massive caseloads to try and get through so i can understand how some people slip through the net right i can is it right no can it cause serious harm to others yes yes but even so right even so he was already diagnosed he was sectioned at the age of 15. so his you know, he was, they were saying he's a danger. Now, when you are sectioned, you are a danger to yourself or to others. This was how you get sectioned under the Mental Health Act. It's not easy to be sectioned. We can tell that because he tried six more times going into A&E to try and get sectioned. But they said no. We'll go into that in a minute. So again, on this discharge in 2016, 2016, he killed his boy in 2019. So, discharged 2016. The order was made for a 12-month period that came to an end in 2017. And he was discharged from the community mental health team and put under the GP. Now, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I don't. So, you listen, you have to fight, right, to get this. He was probably doing well coming across as doing well as i said their books would have been filled filled up and they're trying to get rid of you and send you to your local gp now this i've got nothing against local gps right and they may have a mental health nurse that also works in that surgery with them they're very very good but we all know don't we what gps like now today if you rang up for a gp appointment here you could wait two or three weeks someone with schizophrenia can't wait two or three weeks the pressure of ringing up at eight, you know got ring up before 8 30 in the morning do you know, hold on the line for 40 minutes see if you can get an appointment and they go no sorry there's no appointments that for someone with any mental health especially schizophrenia is enough to make them people not go not try they wouldn't be able to handle that that's too much for them to handle there's no way that anybody with such a serious mental health illness as schizophrenia should be passed over to a GP because mental health is underfunded by this government, right? That's really, it shouldn't be. And this then was the downfall here. 
This is when everything started falling apart. And you can't blame the GPs, you can't. This Dr. Crosby, actually from Ashworth, um, he's a, a um, clinician, so psychiatrist, I suppose, describes that the transfer from the community mental health team was a mistake. Well, it was. It was, and even the judge said it clearly was. There was clearly reasons here, and really, again, it was a failure of the system, you know, in this case, and that's what he's saying, it was a failure. We can all see it's a failure, because mental health community teams are trained in mental health. They're not GPs. GPs are general practitioners. You may have one mental health nurse if you're lucky, or one mental health care assistant working in a GP. You wouldn't be able to handle someone like this. And the thing is with mental health teams have much more laws on their side, right? They can enforce things much quicker. So this man, at this point when he was under this GP, stopped picking up his prescriptions for medication. If he had been under the mental health team, they would have enforced that and they could have enforced under law of an order to say that he needed to be having um, a depot injection twice a week, uh, twice a, a fortnight, every fortnight, twice a month, to manage that. Because a lot of people with this sort of mental health do not continue to take medication because sometimes the medication makes them feel great, right? It works for them. And they feel that they can cope with life and they're doing all right and they're doing great. It's gone. I don't need medication anymore. I'm cured. But they're not. You see, they're not. This medication balances up the chemicals in their brain. It balances. They could be on also an antidepressant, which stops the depression, stops that deep, dark feeling, that anxiety that can trigger an episode, right? So when they stop taking this medication, very quickly sometimes, these episodes can come back. And this is what happens here. And a lot of people, and this man especially, had been also taking drugs, uh, you know, um, marijuana, and he had stopped three weeks prior to that. Now again, marijuana for someone, you can take these drugs and you might be all right. But for someone with mental health already, with this sort of mental health especially, where you're putting these chemicals in it, on top of that, and then you stop taking that. There's lots of issues going on here, but whether he understood the gravity of stopping taking that medication, whether he really understood, and we'll see that as we come further down the line, that would have made him culpable for this murder, um, is another thing. So as I said, this man was on two types of medications. I don't mention the medications, but one of them would have been an antipsychotic and one of them would have been an antidepressive, right? They're the two main ones that he would have been on, really, and it was regular appointments and everything, and then he just stopped going. Now, um, I think, you know, in the month, this was for months, so it was, and he may have had the script, and even if he was getting the scripts and seeing the doctor, he may not have been taking this medication either. A lot of them get the medication and put it away and tell you they're taking it. You can sort of see though if you're under mental health, under, under the mental health team, because they're going to see you on a regular basis, they can see the changes and they're looking out for them changes whether you're taking that medication or not. 
you know plus you have regular blood tests because a lot of these blood tests will they need to check your body because a lot of these anti antipsychotics are not great for your body so they need to check your levels and stuff but they're not checking to see if you took your medication they're not doing that There's, they don't do that they're checking with the blood test to make sure that everything else in your body is okay and any side effects or anything that the medication may cause you know it's not damaging your body so this is I think why this case really had gone or this man in this case had lost it to such an extent but there's millions and millions of people you know with schizophrenia who stop their medication and may have bits of episodes and you can you know stop going out very paranoid but not many do this at all by august 2019 this man had totally relapsed it was going downhill this is where all these text messages were coming from from the family trying to get him help this is where the People um, were trying to take him to A&E to try and get him helped, get him sectioned. He had gone to A&E six times in total. They said in A&E, and this was A&E at the North Manchester General Hospital, he had gone there no fewer than four times in a couple of weeks leading up to this offence, right? And six times in total over that time. He was extremely ill and becoming more ill all the time. And it's got, however, he rapidly deteriorated mental state when undetected on each occasion at A&E. Now, <laughs> you have teams of mental health workers at A&E, right? You might have one or two on call. Weekends, probably not, right? Probably not. But they would have assessed him. Now, their assessment come back and they said it was non-emergency or no emergency because they ticked the box and no urgency for this man's care even though he was begging them to section him they just referred him back to the GP they passed the buck now this was August 2019 a man that had been begging and begging and begging six on six occasions you had his partner there with him their family this man already had the diagnosis He's telling them I haven't took medication. He's telling them I'm having psychotic instances. He's telling them how he's feeling. I'd like to have seen them notes, really. He's telling them. Referred him back to GP. No urgency. No non-urgent, non-emergency. Shocking, really, isn't it? So they knew, didn't they, um, that he had a child and he had another child on the way. They knew that because she was present there with him, this supportive partner was there with him. And this is another reason why they pass the buck, you see. If they think that family members and other people are going to look after them, they don't, they just pass it on. But they didn't even refer him back to mental health, community mental health. They didn't bring the mental health emergency team out to his property to see him, even though he was telling you about this and he said he wanted to be sectioned he needed to be sectioned you see someone with mental health knows more about mental health than they do they know their body they know how they're feeling what they're capable of really until they get to that point where it switches over where they are no longer in reality right it's gone because the episode now is full-blown they're in it they're in it these people didn't listen they didn't listen they didn't want to listen they didn't give a shit 
about this woman, eight months pregnant, struggling with this man with serious mental health, who's begging to be sectioned. They didn't send out any teams to her address at all. It's just a quick referral. How long do you think a referral takes from a mental health professional at a hospital to get to your doctors before that doctor can give you an appointment about six weeks. This child was dead within that time. The child was dead. So this is why this, this case is so important to highlight because this case is about mental health, but it's also about failures, isn't it? Failures of our system. Failures from everyone really in this case to where a young child, 11 month old child was thrown into a river and died. It's, it's absolutely terrible, absolutely terrible. So listen, when we're looking at sentencing and we're looking at stuff like diminished responsibility as a defence, you have to look about aggravating um, factors and stuff like this. Now, Zach was a vulnerable young child. He was 11 uh, months old. So that was a, an aggravating factor. Um, but I think what, what they said about him, it's because he tried to get help and couldn't get help because you're fighting a system that's doesn't want to help you. She tried to get help, right? Everyone around them tried to get help, but the social, the services that they're meant to, to be helping him in place, and you can exempt the doctor from that. It's got nothing to do with the GP, right? Because the GP shouldn't be involved in this sort of a case anyway, right? They shouldn't. They shouldn't be involved when it comes to managing someone with severe mental health. That's the job of the mental health team, mental health services. That's their job, their job. They can't keep passing the buck. And the judge even said this, you can't do it. You can't keep doing it, really. So, so even though there were aggravating factors, he tried everything, this man, to get help to stop this happening, right? But even so, you know, he still did it. And now this man's got to live with that as well. The mother has to live with losing her child and he has to live with killing that child. Whether you're under a, the influence of this um, episode, um, when you come out of all this, the guilt's there and he does feel guilty and he does feel remorse. And um, listen, this man's never ever going to get out of prison. So really the judge and the jury and everyone else um, did accept the defence of diminished responsibility. I don't think there was any choice in this matter right they said about and there is issues with someone that stops taking medication when you know you've got a severe illness like schizophrenic and uh, schizophrenia and you stop make, taking medication is that you can still be held liable right because that can be an aggravating factor as well but what they've said was in this is that he really didn't understand the consequences that he was never really told because he was never really under the mental health service for that long who just passed the buck you see a doctor a doctor's looking at you there he's giving you a prescription thank you very much see you in a couple of weeks right no one's telling you how important or emphasizing to you how important it is to continue to take this medication and why they may say it once right or twice maybe but they're not going to continue to say it unless they feel that you are deteriorating in some way but this man was no longer turning up to the doctor's appointments, was he? He was no longer under mental health. So he wasn't, that, that factor of him knowing by not taking that medication could have caused him to do something so serious as this, right? 
he wasn't he didn't understand plus it was turned out that his IQ was very very low it was on very I think it was on it's very I think it was 54 actually so whether he had that understanding now so people with schizophrenia right don't always have low IQs and stuff but their thoughts are taken up by lots of other stuff now this boy was diagnosed at 12 years old with schizophrenia so that means his thoughts in his mind were overpowering him to have these episodes and to be sectioned at the age of 15. You know, you can tell. So he, his IQ, I don't know if it's low because it was low, or it's, it's because of everything else that was going on in his mind, the concentration wasn't there. You know, schizophrenic years ago, or schizophrenia years ago, it was called, you know, the dementia uh, disease because of the way it affects the brain, and that's not any, you know, being disrespectful for anyone with schizophrenia, but when they have everything going on in their mind, it's they can't concentrate they, they can't concentrate because they're trying so difficult you know so much to stop this stuff going on in their mind it's very difficult for them so that's one of the reasons why if it had been known that he really clearly understood why he had to take this medication the consequences for it and would someone with schizophrenia who stopped taking the medication do this act right like this no no they wouldn't so, you know, if this is how he got diminished responsibility. Because if everybody who has schizophrenia stopped taking the medication and ended up killing everyone, then he would have got, uh, he wouldn't have got, he wouldn't have got, he would have got murder because he would have known what he was doing was wrong. But they say he didn't because of these factors, right? These factors. So not everyone with schizophrenia would do that would they? No, very, very rare. This man's actually a very rare case. I think he's about the sixth, I said, um, probably most dangerous man with this illness. And uh, Napa is, I know, one of the others. There's a few more, but, um, you know, different cases. But when it comes to their mental health issues and how dangerous that mental health can make them, um, these men are highly dangerous, highly dangerous. So this man has got, and this sound the judge said it, and had psychiatrists say it, and everything else. And this is what makes this man not able, really, to ever be released. Now, if he was released, certain things been put in place that, you know, it's about uh, secretary of state. That's the only person that could let this person, this man out. So this judge said, listen, he's a 22-year-old at the time of this murder. He had a very low IQ, the mid-learning disability as well. He also. Um, Again, heard that three psychiatrists in the court after the jury returned their verdict. Then, this is on the sentencing. Now, all three of them approved that the Secretary of State, under Section 12.2 of the Mental Health Act 1983, that the patient is, these experts say, is extremely dangerous individual. Now, this is why this section of the Mental Health Act is used. And there's other sections of the Mental Health Act in this country that can be used to hold prisoners in these institutions for the rest of their life, really, because they are deemed so ill, and it is an illness, so ill that they are extremely dangerous to the public at large, individuals, and to their self, and to their self. Now, if it was just a danger to himself, these sort of ones wouldn't be put in place. But it's because he's in danger, or he could be in a danger, or probably is a danger, without a doubt, 
to individuals and to the public at large. And so now the full force of the law and in the statute of Mental Health Act uh, 1983 comes into force in this case. Now this is the defence when you go for diminished responsibility. This is now what will happen if you are deemed to be this dangerous, really. Now for Ashworth Hospital itself, right, which is uh, an institution for you know mentally uh, ill, and some of the most serious criminals uh, or, or you know cr uh, medical cases where they're criminally insane go there. The test for admission to get into Ashworth, right, because there's an admission test because you know it's a it's a, an institution for the mentally or criminally insane. Okay, so there's a test. So Ashworth's, Ashworth Prison must pose an immediate or grave danger. And he met that condition straight away. The remains, um, he's, I think Ashworth has said he must remain on the highest uh, dependency uh, ward at Ashworth and attempts to move in to anywhere less secure part of the hospital would, would have failed or will fail. He cannot even be moved from this high dependency unit within Ashworth. So he's in Ashworth Hospital, which is hard to get into anyway, and he's in the highest dependency unit because he's one of the most dangerous of their inmates. So section 41, let's have a look at the Mental Health Act. Section 41 of the Mental Health Act permits the judge, I'm saying, um, when making a hospital order under section 37 to impose what is called restriction order when it appears to to the court that having regard for the nature of the offence uh, and the risk actually you committing further offences are set at large and or if you are set at large and this is necessary to protect the public from serious harm as I've said before the um, and he says he's concluded that the restriction is necessary. The restriction is without limit and time. That means it's indefinite. So this order gives him, you know, unlimited time in there because what he's saying is this gives them the doctors the right to say whether this man um, can, I suppose, how can how can we put it? Can can he be cured, or can he? be trusted to take his medication, this, that and the other, and if he did take the medication, would he still be as dangerous? They're saying, well, the psychiatrists are saying no, that he should be held in there, you know, continuously and uh, not be released. And so this section under that, and this order, right, under this section, restricts him getting out, but also restricts anyone, even clinicians or doctors or anyone else, psychiatrists, giving him the right to be moved out. So by making the order under section 37 and 41 of the Mental Health Act, the question for whether he will ever be released is a matter for the Secretary of State. So that onus, I suppose, of doctors feeling sorry for him, and we've had a few of these, haven't we? We've had doctors releasing patients out and saying they're fine and they go on and they do other things. And we have a lot. I've done a few in American cases where this has happened and they've gone off and done things. In this case, this no doctor can overrule this order. This is down to the Secretary of State whether this man will ever be released from the mental, uh, from um, Ashworth Hospital. And I very much doubt if this man will ever, ever be released.
ever. I can't see it ever happening. The man is way too dangerous because, and, and, and I think I have to, I have to keep reiterating this fact that people with schizophrenia are not dangerous, right? Because if they were, these hospitals, they'd all be under these orders, wouldn't they? This is about individual cases, very rare. This is extremely, extremely rare that someone with this sort of mental health or any sort of mental health does this, really. Listen, it does happen, right? In episodes, it does happen, but it's very, very rare, very, very rare. So as I said, this is this case about this sack who threw this 11-month-old child into a flowing river when he was in a psychotic state because he didn't take his medication, but mainly because he didn't get any help from anyone, even though he begged for it. He begged for it, and this child would have been fine if he'd just got the help he needed. So listen, thank you for watching. You know what to do, hit the thumbs up and all this thing. I should have said that at the beginning, really. But listen, I hope you found this case interesting. Um, and uh, until next time, bye-bye.